reading from the book of Daniel. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide, and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, Nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. The word of the Lord. All right, well, it is my honor to introduce a guest uh, preacher, speaker with you this morning. I was thinking about, as I was driving here at 5-something a.m. after the amazing men's retreat, uh, I was thinking about this person and how I would introduce her. I've known Erin Clifford for about a dozen years, and her resume is strong. She has served with International Justice Mission, and uh, in that capacity, she's helped rescue kids and those who are vulnerable from modern-day slavery across the globe. Awesome work. She's also served at the Fuller Theological Center for Spiritual Formation. 
and um, cared for a lot of current and upcoming leaders in ministry. Additionally, she has served with and beside Nikki Gumbel of Holy Trinity Brompton, the Alpha Course. Some of you have taken the Alpha Course. Maybe you've also enjoyed the Bible in One Year app. Uh, she actually helped launch that and wrote some of that content. So if you've ever used that, likely you've read uh, Aaron's voice in that. She's a modern-day missionary, as I've come to just uh, think about her life. She serves to um, call up and call out the church in North America and also serve the church globally. She grew up in East Africa as a missionary kid. She has her doctorate in missions. And so um, you would never know the book by the cover here. She's so lovely, so nice. But uh, it's our joy to welcome her back. She's been with us multiple times over the years. So would you give uh, Dr. Aaron Clifford a warm welcome back to One Fellowship? Good morning, church. Good morning. I think my intro gets longer every visit, so I'm going to have to really rein that in, I think, eventually. I'm just going to jump up before he can introduce me next time. Um, It's great to be here, great to be with you. I think the last time I was here was in February, sometime around Valentine's Day time, and so my husband came with me last time. We've been married for about a year, a little over a year, and he is sad not to be here this time. He sends his greetings because, man, we ate so well on that February trip. (laughs) We ate so well, and so he's like, this isn't fair. Why am I not on this trip? Um, So the Sorensons have been feeding me well this this weekend already. Um, But it's great to be with you. Great to be in the middle of this Daniel series. I love that video intro with the lion. Um, It's like, is it, you know, is it Aslan or is it like Daniel in the lion's den? Like there's a lot going on there. Um, But it's, you're in Daniel, we're in Daniel three, and I'm just doing the first half of the chapter uh, because Paul is actually taking the fiery furnace part. Like, How rude is that? So I'm going to lead us up into the fiery furnace, and then he's going to talk about the application of what that looks like. So the part of Daniel that we're looking at involves Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I love this part because we're used to thinking about Daniel so far. The first six chapters of Daniel, as you know, are about this idea of how to stay faithful to God, especially in pressure cooker situations, when the powers that be around you are actually asking you to compromise. How do you stay faithful to God in those pressure cooker moments? And we've seen Daniel and we've seen Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do that very faithfully. You know, they're eating vegetables and drinking water. There's, you know, he's interpreting the dream as we saw last week. So, so far we've seen them be really faithful. And what I love about this story is is we, you know, Daniel's not actually in this story that we're looking at this time. It's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which I think over time get the reputation as kind of being like Daniel's backup dancers, you know? (laughs) or the backing vocalists, like they're not the main guy, but you know, they're there and they're being faithful. And so I I want us to be thinking about that this morning because I think sometimes in the kingdom of God, we can feel like the backup dancers. (laughs) You know, maybe we're like, I'm not the leader. I'm not the one out there doing that crazy risk-taking thing for God. I'm not so-and-so. And I think actually in the body of Christ, we do a lot of comparing with one another. That's not helpful. You know, like, oh, well, they're very faithful or their prayer life is really great or I bet God's a lot more proud of them than God is of me. You know, it's always about like the person near you or next to you or someone else who you kind of wish your walk with God looked like that. So I want us to be reminded this morning that 
these situations are, are full of persecution, right? So when we read the situation, we may be thinking, you know, Aaron, tomorrow at work, nobody's throwing me into a furnace, you know? <laughs> if, if they are, then that's a toxic work environment. And let's talk about that, okay? But hopefully nobody is throwing you into a fiery furnace tomorrow at your job or at your school just because you didn't obey what they told you to do, right? So sometimes we can feel like, what, how does this relate to my life in the least? You know, where is, is God as concerned with me as he was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in that moment? And the answer is yes. God is very invested in your story. When we think about persecution in the world, we usually think about places of Christian persecution. We think about places like China, you know, where the underground church has thrived over decades, but it is underground because of the persecution there. We think about places like Pakistan. We think about places all over the world, you know, uh, all over the world in South America as well, places where the church is under fire because it's standing up against injustice like drug trafficking and different things like that. And we can think, well, what, what about me? Where do I fit into this story? Because you may never experience persecution to that level. As I said, you may never have anyone say, do you love Jesus or are you going to this blazing furnace, right? <laughs> you may never have that opportunity to actually make that decision. But every day we have opportunities to compromise. Every day we have opportunities to choose and trust in God or to trust in something else. And so that's what's happening with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego at the beginning of the story. They have an opportunity to bow to an idol, to bow to something that seems more powerful than anything in the world, King Nebuchadnezzar. And in the moment, everybody's doing it, right? They're surrounded by hundreds of people that are all bowing. And yet they stand up. They say, no, we choose God. We choose to serve God. And I think that's happening in our lives every day. We have those opportunities to trust in an idol that we think is more powerful than God, something we depend on, something we've grown really attached to, and it could be something really good. It could be a person, it could be a job, it could be a relationship, it could be finances, something that we've grown to really love. But we realize all of a sudden, uh-oh, we're loving this more than God. We're trusting in our identity in this thing more than we are in God. So that's what we're gonna look at today. So here we are in uh, verse one, Nebuchadnezzar makes an image of gold and he sets it up and he intends, for, he intends for this to be worshiped. Now, you know, I love, I love Americans. We're so crazy. You know, somebody somewhere decided they wanted to build this idol, okay? So here's a picture of where somebody actually built this thing, okay? And they actually toured it around the US. <laughs> so it was like, could you picture this thing going down a highway in Ohio? You know, and you're just like, what is happening? People are like, Christians are crazy. This is why people think we're crazy. Um, so here he is. And actually, I don't even think this is as big because in cubits, it talks about cubits in Daniel, but in cubits, it should be about eight or nine stories high. This is very tall. This thing is huge. Eight or nine stories high, 90 feet wide, maybe more the shape of an obelisk, which is what the, you know, the Washington Monument is. We call it the pencil in, the, in DC. Um, but that idea of it being very tall and skinny. So here it is. Nebuchadnezzar builds this. And then he calls all of his officials. And well done to the reader. Well done. You did a great job today. That wasn't easy. She had to do so many lists. And one of the lists you may have noticed she shared was the name of the satraps and the justices. And, and it was naming all of these really high officials. And the point of that was to let you know that all of the most powerful people that represented the whole land, the whole kingdom, they were there. 
In fact, Nebuchadnezzar invited them and I'm pretty sure didn't tell them why they were coming. <laughs> okay, so they come from all over the land to represent all of his unified kingdom so that he can get them all to bow so that he has everyone under his subjection, right? So he calls them together and all of a sudden music's playing, a lot of music. And that was another good list, the flute, the lyre, the zither, the harp. The... And the reason that the scripture repeats that over and over again is to show you that this was meant to be a moment of power. This was meant to actually intimidate them. The sounds were supposed to play and they were supposed to all of a sudden bow. And in this moment, they did. And have you ever had that moment where you've been called to a meeting maybe by your boss or by a teacher or something and you, and you don't actually know why you're there and then all of a sudden you're, you find yourself in a conversation or in a meeting where you have the opportunity to either be faithful to what you believe or actually to give in to the compromise being asked of you. And so often these aren't moments that are planned ahead of time and we know we're going into them. Sometimes they catch us off guard. And I'm sure these officials were caught off guard, but in the moment they said, well, yeah, we worship you, Nebuchadnezzar. And notice he asked them to bow down. So this isn't just about, yeah, you're the king and we're gonna give you our taxes and we're gonna obey you if you call on us for something to give you our horse or something like that. It was actually about worship. It was religious and political. It was about Nebuchadnezzar saying, I am the most powerful God which is why he gets so mad at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they won't bow down. Because they don't just say, we're not gonna do it. They say, we're not gonna do it because our God is more powerful than you. And that's what really makes him mad. So here's another picture just to kind of help us be able to imagine what this must have been like. So all the people bow down. And then all of a sudden the officials say, you know, hang on, stop the music, you know, you know, on the record player, hang on. There's three guys not bowing. And so they call on the Jews, and we know the Jews were the people who were in captivity. Um, but Nebuch so Nebuchadnezzar, it says, in a furious rage, so he's really mad. But even though he's really mad, he's also a little delusional about his power. <laughs> so he calls the three, and he's really mad, but he's like, all right, I'll give you a chance. And maybe it's because of Daniel interpreting his dream or some of the positive experiences he's had with them up till now. But he says, okay, so the word on the street is, you're not bowing when the music plays. So let me just go over the instructions again. <laughs> when the music plays, you're supposed to bow, okay? Have we all got how this works? Let's do it again. And of course, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego without hesitation say, yeah, we're not doing that. We're not doing that because, because we can only worship God. This is who we are. It's unequivocal. There's no other option. And God is able. And you'll see that phrase three times throughout this chapter, our God is able. Our God is able, our God is able, our God is able. And that is bedrock foundation of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. What it means to be a follower of Jesus is to believe that God is able, that he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. That's the only thing that gets us through these moments of compromise, potential compromise, is the belief that God is able. I can trust God because God is actually bigger than this financial situation I'm in. I can trust God because God is actually going to keep me safe in this situation. I can trust God because I know that if I say no to this thing, God is gonna say yes to something else even better in my life. God can do immeasurably more than I can ever ask or imagine. God is able. It's one of my favorite gospel songs, and that's what I can hear in my head, hear like a Kirk Franklin version, you know, God is able, um, you know, God is able. And so that's what's going through their heads is in the moment they went straight to that, straight to that bedrock. No, no, God's able. 
We'll be thrown in this furnace. We don't know what he's gonna do and we don't know how he's gonna do it. And sometimes that's why in those moments of compromise, it's hard for us to make the decision because we can't see the other way out. We can see the thing we're supposed to say no to, but we can't see how that's gonna work out for good for us. <laughs> so in the moment we're like, well, Lord, if you could just show me what will happen if I say no to this thing, give me the long-term plan of how this is gonna work. Show me how you're gonna provide for me or, or the window of escape. We can't quite see it. We don't know how God's gonna do it. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said the same thing. They were like, well, we're not totally sure how this is gonna work and we might die in the fire, <laughs> but we still feel that God is able. Even though we can't see the other side of this fence, we're gonna jump over it and trust that God is gonna be on the other side. So these things, these people, these ideas that we're tempted to put our trust in or our allegiance in over God, we call these things idols. That can feel like an old school term and we're like, what does that mean? But I wanna tell you a parable now that will hopefully help us figure out what are those things in our lives today? What are those things that we're putting our trust in? So there were uh, five brothers, five brothers, and they lived next to this river, this huge rushing river. And they lived with their father in a huge castle on a mountain. And it was a beautiful castle. They had everything they needed provided for them and the father loved them. So they grew up here, these five brothers. Is anyone, is anyone a, one of five brothers? Amazing, Woo, God bless your mom, that's awesome. Um, so I'm one of four girls, so I understand what it's like to grow up in a family with just one type of sibling. The other gender is a total mystery, you know, when you grow up with just brothers or just sisters. Um, but they're five brothers and they're living in this castle and the father says, you know, I'm providing everything you need. The only thing I ask is don't go in the river. Don't go in the river, it's dangerous. It's gonna lead you towards territory that you don't know what's out there. Don't go in the river. Well, some of you are built like these brothers were. And your instinct when someone says, don't do this one thing, is to do that one thing, okay? Some people are just built that way. So of course, what happens? Four of the brothers go on a little walk to the river. But one of them stays behind. The eldest brother stays behind. Now, some of you are like, yep, eldest sibling, the best responsible one. Uh, so the eldest brother stays behind. The four go to the river. And one of the brothers is like, I'm just going to touch it. You know, it's like a very Adam and Eve moment. You know, I'm just going to touch that tree. I'm not supposed to. I'm just going to just put my hand in it. So, of course, he calls on his other brothers to help him. So he's like, I'm just going to put my hand in. You hold my other hand. And we can all see where this is going. So he falls in. They all fall in. And all four brothers go rushing downstream rushing downstream for miles and miles, and they yell, but no one hears them. Miles and miles down, they end up, finally when the rapids quit, they end up on one side of the shore that they knew was the land of their enemies. They knew from the stories their father had told them. They'd never been there, because the father knew it wasn't good for them, but they ended up on the land of their enemies. So they crawl up onto shore, and they think, okay, we just have to hide out for a little while. Our father is gonna find us if we just hide out. So every day they spent time hunting, gathering, just trying to survive. And then at night, they would come around the campfire and they would talk about their father. They would tell stories of home. They would remember what it was that they loved about their life there. And they would rem remind each other, our father loves us. He's coming for us. Our father loves us. Even though we did the thing we weren't supposed to do, our father will find us. Our father will care for us. So this goes on for a while. And then one day, one of the brothers doesn't show up to the campfire. And the other brothers are like, oh no, we gotta go find him. So they go searching for the missing brother and they find him in the middle of the enemy camp, building a hut. So he's kind of got his hammer and his logs and he's building a hut and he's looking like he's planning to stay. 
So the other brothers are terrified. They're like, what are you doing? You can't stay with, with these enemies or these people. They're not, they're not like us. We're not meant to build a home here. We're just here temporarily and our father's gonna come get us. And the brother said, I haven't seen our father. I feel like he's not coming. He's given up on us. We messed up and he's given up. And you know what? They, they have Wi-Fi here. You know, <laughs> these people are pretty great. They've got, they've got, you know, some barbecue and let's just, I think it's a good life here. Um, our father will understand. I'm just gonna stay here. This looks better. And, and I've, I've built my life here now. I'm used to this place. I've forgotten what it used to be like and I'm just gonna stay here. So the other brothers leave him. They go back to the campfire. The next day, another brother is missing. Like, oh no, well, where'd this guy go? They're dropping like flies. So he goes looking for the other one. And the other one is sitting on the wall, looking down at the brother building the hut. And the wall sitting brother has a list. And when the other brothers come to him, they say, what are you doing? You know, you've got to come back to camp with us. It's not safe here. And he was like, do you see what this guy is doing, building his hut in the enemy territory? This is terrible. This guy is terrible. I'm just, I'm just making sure I keep a record of all the things he's doing wrong so that when father comes, I'll give him the list. And the other brothers said, well, I mean, we're not perfect. We did the one thing <laughs> that our fathers asked us not to do. We got in the river. You know, the, that's, we've not, we're not perfect either, just like he's making mistakes. And he said, no, 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 no. I mean, we got in the river, but that was nothing compared to this dude. Look at this guy. Look at this list of things I'm keeping that he's done. So the other brothers realized that they, they couldn't persuade him. He was gonna stay there and judge his brother. So they left one brother building a hut, one brother judging, and they went back to the campfire. Well, you can see what's coming. <laughs> All of a sudden, the younger brother wakes up the next morning and he is the only one at camp. So he goes in search of his last brother and he finds his last brother sitting by the river, stacking rocks on top of each other. And he says, what are you doing? You know, come back to camp with me. You shouldn't be this close to the river anyway. We know it's really dangerous. This is how we got here. And the rock stacking brother says, I gotta get back to father. You know, we've done this terrible thing. He's never gonna forgive us. But maybe if I can stack rocks and I can walk on them all the way back to the castle, he'll forgive me. He'll see that I'm working really hard and he'll forgive me for what we did. And the other brother says, God, you know, the, our father loves us. He's going to forgive us. We just need to remain faithful and believe that he's coming for us. And the other brother said, no, I have to stack rocks. I have to show him that I'm sorry. I have to show him that I worked hard to earn his love back. So he stays stacking rocks. So the little brother is by himself and he's sleeping there on the campfire trying to feed himself. And all of a sudden he hears a voice and it's his older brother. So his older brother has come from the castle and his older brother says, I found you. We've been, father and I have been looking for you. He sent me to come find you. He's, for, you know, he's forgiven you. He loves you. He just wants you safe. He just wants you to come back safe. We've been worried sick. Let me take you back. I'm actually gonna carry you back up the river. And he says, but where are other brothers? And the younger brother's like, oh boy, let me tell you about those guys. So he's like, first, so they go down to the hut building brother. And the older brother sees the hut building brother and the hut building brother's not really that surprised to see the older brother. He doesn't really care. So the hut building brother, he's like, come back, you know, come back to the castle. You live in this crazy shack that you're building by yourself among our enemies, but come back to our castle where we belong. Come back to our father. And the hut building brother says, nah, this is looking pretty good. I kind of like my life here. I've gotten pretty comfortable here. I don't actually, I have everything that I need here. I don't want to go back to father. I want to stay here. 
So they couldn't convince him. So he moves on to the judging brother. He finds the brother still at the top of that hill on that rock wall, looking down at the hut building brother and taking notes. And the older brother shows up and the the judging brother says, oh, thank goodness you're here. Thank goodness you're here. I have a long list that I need to show father of what this guy is doing. You wouldn't believe the stuff he's doing. And the older brother says, well, before we talk about him, let's talk about you. Let's talk about what you may have done that got you to this situation in the first place. You know, dad is gonna forgive you, but let's start with maybe your sin. And the brother on the wall is like, my sin, oh my gosh, that was nothing. Look at what this guy's been doing. Have you read my list? Have you seen my notes? And the older brother's like, no, let's talk about you. And with that, the judging brother runs down the hill and says, I gotta go spy on him. Trust me, he never sees me when I'm there. And he goes running down the hill. And the older brother realizes there's no hope there. So the older brother says, okay, let me go find my final brother. So he goes over to the brother who's stacking rocks there on the side of the river. And he says to him, I've come to take you back. And the rock stacking brother says, I'm working on it. You know, (laughs) I've already got it pretty far. I'm already a little ways up the hill. I'm gonna make it to the castle myself. And the older brother says, no, I'm here to carry you up the hill. I'm here to carry you up the hill. He says, no, but once I get there, like my father will never forgive me. He needs me to show that I can work my way back into his graces. And the older brother says, no, you don't need to work your way into his graces. You just need grace. And Father has already forgiven you. Father is ready. He just wants you home. He just cares about you. He loves you. And the rock stacking brother says, no, that doesn't sound right. I'm going to keep stacking my rocks. I'm going to work my way there. So I know when I got there that I earned my way back because of what I've done wrong. So the older brother realizes that he's not going to be able to take them home. And he and the younger brother head home themselves. So here we have a parable, right? Just like Jesus used to tell which can help us think through a little bit of where our, our idols are. Where are the things that we're planting ourselves and choosing over our father? So the first one we have is the hut building brother. The hut building brother was willing to trade his father's house for his passions and earthly wealth. And we maybe call this self-satisfaction. He's like, I got this. I can satisfy all my needs by myself. He's not sure if God's coming back. Not sure if Jesus is really real. So let's live in the moment. Let's not think about the future. Let's not think about hope in the future. Let's pursue what's comfortable right now. That is such an easy idol for us, isn't it? And as I share these, the goal is not for us to feel shame or guilt about them. The goal is for us to to ask the Lord, Lord, what am I holding on to? You have so much freedom and joy for me. Are any of these things a temptation for me? And I hope you say yes, because we're all tempted by compromise in these moments. Maybe they're hard, some are harder for some people than others, but I think most people vacillate between all the idols I'm about to list throughout their lives at different moments. We have moments to be compromised. But the point of the Holy Spirit is conviction, not shame or guilt. That's from the enemy, because shame or guilt just paralyzes us. But the Holy Spirit means to move us forward. So the Holy Spirit may be tugging at our hearts going, hey, that sounds a little bit like you maybe this week. And then the moment is to say, all right, Holy Spirit, change me. Change me, God, right? God wants us to change, not to sit in the middle of it. So the hut building brother. And the idol here is comfort, or it could be our health, or pursuing economic security above all else, including above other people. My first job that I had um, out of college, my first office job, was working for a ministry that I really loved. I had idolized this ministry for years. It was a global nonprofit and they were working to help under-resourced communities. And I was so excited to get this job. Honestly, they shouldn't have hired me for it. 
I did not have enough experience for this job. So it was kind of like an above my pay grade type of job and I knew it and they knew it. And so I remember I, I worked for this boss. I worked for the kind of CEO of the, of the whole organization. And about a couple months into it, he called me into his office and he said, Aaron, I need you to lie to the client. And I was thinking, lie to the client. This client is an impoverished family that we're supposed to be helping. Why would I lie to the people who are supposed to be helping? He said, I need you to lie to them because I actually want to use some of that money for something else within the organization. So I need you to tell them that we can't help them. And I was like, I can't, how, what? like that's terrible. How am I going to tell them? But of course in that moment, where's the power? He's got all the power, right? And I was so young that I was like, okay, I'm supposed to obey my boss. I'll, I'll do it. So I told the family we couldn't help them. And over and over again, I would say this happened about three or four more times where he asked me to do something and it was really just lying to the people we were serving. And I just said, finally, I was like, I can't take it anymore. And I was just feeling my integrity slipping away. And I said, I can't do it anymore. I've got, I've, I don't believe this is biblical. I've got to actually like, you know, like risk this job, which was a great job. So I decided, I had talked to a woman who was on staff. She was actually a retired nun. Uh, she was a wonderful woman, but she'd worked there for years. And I just pulled her over in confidence and I said, this is what he's asking me to do. She's like, yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> so she's like, yeah, he's a real piece of work. I said, well, we're a Christian organization. This is not right. And she said, yeah, get out while you can and while you're still young. I was like, this is very disconcerting. So anyway, so I was like, okay, I'm gonna get out. I'm gonna quit. So I went in to see my boss. And when I went in to see him, he said something very surprising that I did not expect. Before I could get out the words, I'm resigning. He said, you know, we just called in these contractors and they have gone through all of our salaries and they figured out that we aren't paying you guys enough. We're not paying you for the market rate for your positions. And particularly for yours, yours had the biggest pay gap. So just so you know, you're gonna get a $15,000 raise. He's like, it'll start next week. Of course, I was just frozen because, <laughs> you know, I'm like 22 and this is about 20 years ago. And so that was a lot of money, $15,000 for my little single self at that moment, um, who was probably going to end up in ministry anyway. So I talked to my, so I didn't quit. So I left and I talked to my mentor and I was like, I don't know what to do. You know, I don't know, is God trying to bless me or do I need to, you know, quit this thing? And it's more money than I'll ever make in ministry. And my mentor, who was like a, a Christian leader, he's like, stay with the job. He said, you know, Aaron, you're gonna be a missionary. You're gonna go into ministry. You're gonna be a pastor. You're never gonna have any cash. You should save up this cash now. And then you can have the sort of nest egg later. And sometimes when we're in those moments of compromise, sometimes the people around us aren't even really helping us do the thing that God would want us to do, right? Which is why sometimes in those moments, you, you have to listen to what the Holy Spirit says to you. And so often the Holy Spirit is the one saying to you, no, you know what you need to do. Sometimes we want everyone around us to go, yeah, that's the right decision, we support you. But sometimes we just need to listen and be faithful to the Holy Spirit. So in that moment, I was like, no. I mean, yes, I would love to make more money and, and not have to worry about raising support in a job, but that I, could, I knew God was saying, Aaron, this is not right. You have to leave this position. So I left the position. Now I'm telling you that because I made a lot of mistakes in there. <laughs> but it makes me think about Romans 1. It says, they traded the glory of God who lives forever for the worship of idols made to look like earthly people, birds, animals, and snakes. They worshiped and served what had been created instead of the God who created these things. So sometimes really good stuff, it looks really great, but maybe we can worship it more than the God who'd actually created it. So the second brother is the fault-finding brother. 
And the fault-finding brother says, he sits on that wall and says, why deal with my mistakes when I can focus on someone else's? <laughs> so we call this self-justification. The first was self-satisfaction. This is self-justification. I may be bad, but as long as I can find someone worse, I'm safe. And he fuels his goodness with the failure of others. And this idol, I would say, comes out in, in the desire for the perfect family, for the perfect marriage, the perfect political affiliation, the perfect church, the perfect Christian. If I follow Jesus, I'm fine. It's that other person, Christian or otherwise, that's doing really badly. And I think we've all had this temptation to want to take some of the criticism we maybe put on ourselves and it comes seeping out to other people. Romans 2 says, if you think you can judge others, you're wrong. When you judge them, you're really judging yourself guilty because you do the same things they do. Self-justification. And then lastly, the rock-stacking brother. The rock-stacking brother doubted the affection of his father, and he chooses instead to battle the river. Well, we might not stack rocks. That may feel like something that we, we're not doing day to day, but we do it with God all the time, I think. If I do this, God will accept me. If I attend church and we pick up a rock. If I vote for this person and we pick up a rock. If I give this money and we pick up a rock. If I read my Bible, have the right opinion, have the right doctrine, if I join this movement, rock, rock, rock. But the problem is the river is too long. We don't have enough rocks to get there. In fact, that's not even the way back to God or the Father, right? It's by grace that we have been saved through faith, not by anyone's works that they could boast. So I call this idol self-sufficiency, pride, not needing help. I'm okay, I can do this thing on my own, even my Christian life, I got this. I don't need church, I don't need people. I can do this all on my own. I'm actually really good at this stuff. <laughs> and as I said, I think we vacillate between these things. But I would say, I was just thinking about it this morning in the first service. And in the worship after the first service, we were singing a song at communion and I really just felt the presence of God come over me. And I felt the Lord say, Aaron, you're struggling with the rock stacking. And I started to think about how the last couple of weeks I've had a couple of different speaking engagements or trainings that I've been asked to do. And I made a mistake in each of those that has been haunting me. Have you ever woken up in the middle of the night and all of a sudden you're like, oh, I did this thing wrong. And like that, you know, I wish I hadn't done that. And it's kind of like that self you know, self-criticism thing, and you're like, I wish I hadn't done that. What should I do? How can I fix it? And I've sort of been haunted by these moments. They're little things, and if I told you, you'd be like, Aaron, that is the silliest, weirdest thing to be, care about. Um, but to me, they, they were things where I felt like I had failed in, my, in what I was doing, my service to God. And I felt like the Lord said to me this morning in the worship, this morning after the service, I felt like he said, like, Aaron, I love you. You know, you're like that rock stacking brother. Like even in my desire to serve the Lord, I can find myself rock stacking, right? Even in my desire to, to be just like a holy follower of Jesus, a good church leader, I can find myself rock stacking. I have to be reminded that the Lord doesn't care about my sermon. The Lord doesn't care about my training. The Lord doesn't care about whatever it is. The Lord loves me. The Lord cares about my heart towards him. The Lord cares about the posture of my heart. And even in doing good for the Lord, we can sometimes fall into rock stacking without realizing it. So there are probably things that you've trusted in in the last year, maybe even in the last couple of months that have disappointed you. Things that you've put all of your hopes and your trust in and they weren't the Lord and they've fallen to the wayside. Maybe it's a person or an opportunity. 
And it's good to take a moment and kind of be able to say, that was disappointing. That person was disappointing, whatever it was. But there is so much grace and hope in the kingdom of God this morning. I think the Lord wants us to go out this week and be able to say, Lord, show me where it is where I'm putting my trust in things that aren't you. Because sometimes we can't see it. We get very head down like each of these brothers into our world and what seems right. And we need the Holy Spirit to open up our eyes to where it is that we might be trusting in something else and not the Lord. I'll end with this story. I think even though I said we're probably not going to end up in the middle of China um, planting a church, we may never experience the persecution of, of what many Christians experience around the world. I also think it's encouraging to hear stories of Christians who are under great persecution, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and who chose something else. I think it gives us courage to make the smaller choices, what may seem smaller in the, in the great scheme of things. So there's a woman named Sister Chan, and it's a true story. She uh, was a church, an underground church leader in Henan in China, and she felt like the Lord told her, this is just a few years ago, told her to go preach on the steps of the police station. Very dumb idea in China, okay? Like, very dumb idea. Um, you would definitely be arrested very quickly. So she prayed about this a little bit more. Have you ever had that? Like, the Lord's telling me to do this. Let me just pray about it a little bit more. Maybe he's gonna jump in and tell me not to do it afterwards. But she felt like the, the Spirit said, no, go and do this. So she goes to the steps of the police station and she preaches. Well, I mean, it doesn't take long, two minutes. And the police are out there and they arrest her. And they throw her in a women's prison with no trial. She's just in, in prison indefinitely because that's the justice system we're working with, right? That's the type of oppression we're working with. So she goes to jail. Well, of course, she, she loves the Lord. And so she, that doesn't stop her from evangelizing, right? She starts evangelizing, starts talking about God, starts sharing the good news. I mean, she's already in prison, so what's gonna go, what can go worse now? So she starts sharing the gospel. And in three months, 800 women come to Christ. 800 women come to Christ in that prison. All of a sudden, up and down the hallways of this prison, you're hearing worship songs. She's teaching them the Bible, since they couldn't have actual Bibles, obviously. She's teaching them the Bible from her memorization. They're learning scripture, memorizing scripture, and it's changing the atmosphere of the whole prison to the point where finally, the head of the prison comes to her and says, you know, what is this change that I'm seeing? Everyone says it's you. You're this person who's changing, who's changed all the hearts, and the women are so much more manageable. There's less fighting. They actually seem to be filled with joy inexplicably. They're in prison for life. Like, what is going on? He says, everyone says it's you. And she was like, well, it's Jesus Christ. You know, I've been talking to them about sharing Christ with them. He's like, Christ, Christ, whatever, who cares? I wanna give you a job. He says, I wanna give you a house. I wanna give you a car. I'm gonna free you and I'm gonna give you a salary. And what I want you to do is I want you to come back in and I want you to do this with all the women. Like whatever this thing is that you're doing, I want you to just keep doing it. I'm gonna make you rich beyond your wildest dreams. So Sister Chan says to him, listen, I've known Jesus for 20 years and I believe God is actually gonna take care of me. So I can't actually accept your offer of taking all this money, um, but I will come back and minister to the women. So miraculously, and I think because of who the Lord is, she was freed and she did come back and she did visit the women and she did con con continue to evangelize them. And I tell that story, you know, where many of us may think, well, I'll never be in that position. But I tell that story because every time a step of obedience is taken, there's a ripple effect. That's how it works in the kingdom. And I think the kingdom of God is advanced all over the world, yes, through a Sister Chan character, but also through us. The kingdom of God advances through our faithfulness, even in the small things, because they have a ripple effect. We can't always see the other side. That's why it's called a risk, 
That's why it's called faith. We can't always see how God's gonna work it out. But once we take that step towards God and away from the thing that's not of him, the ripple effect begins and God blesses it as he did with Sister Jane. So let's pray, let's pray. Let's stand, let's stand as we, as we pray. If you're able. Jesus, we, we thank you for, for the Sister Chans of the world, God, these amazing people of faith and courage who are willing to risk their lives that others might know you. Lord, we ask for even just a piece of that courage, even just an ounce of that faithfulness and obedience. God, as we go into this week, we ask that you would show us the places where you're asking us to step out in faith or where you're asking us to, to not go the way of compromise, but to go the way of trust and risk because we believe you're able. And God, you are able. We honor you this morning that you are our all-sufficient one, that nothing is impossible with God. The greater is he who is in us and he who is in the world. And Lord, would you help us to live that out this week, not just to believe it, but to have it affect our decisions. We pray in that, Lord, that we might become more like Christ. We might become those who hear the Father's voice and obey. And we thank you, Lord, that you have called us to bring good to the world. And the way we do that is by following you and your good and beautiful plan for the world around us. Give us courage, Lord. Help us be faithful because you've been so faithful to us. In Jesus' name, amen.